as I was preparing for today, there were probably literally about 10 different topics I thought would be the best thing to start the new year with. And what I've really settled on, and you've already seen, it's, it's uh, I say, our, our new covenant life. And we just celebrated the Lord's Supper together. And Jesus said a really crucial truth right in the middle of that celebration. He said, this cup, as he presented the wine, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And this isn't rocket science for us. This is pretty basic to recognize. Jesus is saying there was an old covenant and that old covenant is finished. Now there is a new covenant and it is my death that establishes and accomplishes and delivers to you a new covenant of relationship with God. And we're going to be looking at that over the next two or three or 17 weeks and we'll, we'll see what it takes. But to try to look at, at a few of the basic New Testament truths that are absolutely crucial and foundational to understanding who we are as believers and living our life as believers. And sort of a background context, and this will probably come up two or three times along the way, that once we're a believer, once we're in this new relationship with God, we have two major pulls that the New Testament warns us against. And I just want us to keep these in mind. So from this new covenant life, the enemy is always working to pull us back into sin. Or I'm still going to mess with this thing and I'm trying to learn how to do it right. Or he works to call us down into legalism. And, and both of those are destructive in the life of a believer because both a continuation of pursuit of sin or, or a dependence and a pursuit of legalism both deny and defy the full grace of what God accomplished through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and then delivering the life of Jesus into our lives. So looking at John 15... And we're going to be looking at a lot of different passages of Scripture over the, over the next two or three weeks. But we're starting with John 15. And Jesus says this, I'm the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me... Let me move a little bit away from the speaker so that I don't hurt you. Every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. And I want to pause there for a second because, because Jesus is saying something really crucial to his disciples. He's getting ready to teach them something really important about their ongoing life. And, and the wisdom and the secret, so to speak, of living that life effectively. But he tells them something pretty amazing. So he's looking at these, these 12 guys... 11 of them, and every now and then Judas gets mentioned as not part of the, the crew. But he's looking at these 11 men, imperfect men, sinful men, frequently confused, frequently doubting, frequently struggling to understand the basics that Jesus has repeated for three and a half years. But he's looking at this band of men, and there's actually a good chance that there was a larger circle of disciples sitting around because that was frequently true. So Jesus is talking to his disciples 
And he says, you're already clean. What an amazing statement. He's looking at them and saying, you're already clean. I haven't even gone and died for you yet. And you're already clean. But he says this. You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. So I'm going to try to put a few of those words down here real quickly. And I thought about just mentioning them and skipping over them, and I don't think that's very, very wise. So here's one of the words that Jesus had spoken to his disciples. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And flip over to five, chapter 5, verse 24. Where he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. I'm going to make sure I'm, I'm trying to be better about writing these passages down and it changed to red and I'll change it back to black. And now if you'll turn over to chapter 6, I'm going to make sure I get to the right thing. Go to verse 38. Listen to this. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. So be patient while I, while I get this figured out. This is where I actually really do sort of need a, uh, a secretary. I, I mentioned that last time, and I, I need a standing secretary. Go to, go to chapter 8. In verse 42, Jesus says this. If God were your father, and he's speaking to the Pharisees and other leaders around him, you would love me, for I proceed forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. And on verse 58 in that same chapter, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And so Jesus is making the claim to be almighty God in that simple statement. And so these, these are just a few of the things. And actually, I want to read one more. Go to 14. And we could keep gathering up a bunch 
that are part of what God is, what Jesus has already spoken to his disciples. But go to 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So these are just a small sampling of the things that Jesus has spoken to his disciples. But go to Matthew 16, 15. Because when Jesus says, my words have resulted in you being clean, it's worth seeing how that got accomplished. Jesus is asking them, after others have left and others have said what they believe Jesus to be, he says, but who do you say that I am? And in Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then go back to John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, starting at verse 66, we read this. Jesus was teaching some hard stuff. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So Jesus' words that resulted in, in them being clean was because they heard his words and they believed what he said about himself and about what he accomplished. And then we have in Romans that that death covered all the sins previously committed. So those disciples weren't saved just because of an intellectual belief. They were saved because they believed in a Savior. And God said, your sins are clean and removed. And that's sort of foundational to what comes next. But I wanted us to have that real clearly in mind. Jesus is talking to men and women among his disciples who are already clean already saved because they've put their faith in him. And his death will accomplish it. But for these disciples, he's looking at them and saying, it's a done deal. You guys are in. In the same way he said to the thief on the cross, this day you will be with me in paradise. I haven't even finished dying for your sin, but your salvation is a done deal. And that recognition of cleansing still left something to be taught because now Jesus goes into the next part and says, now that I've reaffirmed for you the truth, the absolute certain truth, that my death has accomplished your cleansing, I don't want you to stop there. Now I want you to go deeper and further with something else. And then he goes to this. Going back to John 15. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless, you unless you abide in me. And one of the things that, that I've seen through the years, and I bet many of you have seen the same thing too, as we're looking at this passage about abiding in Christ, there are books that you could 
go read. And I'm not going to mention authors right now because inevitably I would leave out the best author or I'd put the wrong author with the wrong book because I do that a lot. But writers and teachers that are expounding on the abiding life. Writers and teachers that are expounding on the exchanged life. Do I make that go away? Okay. Others that are talking about the Christ-centered life. Others that are talking about the Spirit-filled life. And we could go on and on. There are different categories, different labels, different ways of saying it. But a variety of writers throughout the centuries have tried to have captured something from the Word of God and said, we can't forget this stuff. We can't miss this aspect of the, of the New Testament teaching. It's not simply that we're saved. It's now simply that in this new covenant relationship with God, we have a completely different quality and character of life delivered to us, but we have to grasp it, we have to choose it, we have to agree with God on pursuing it. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next two or three weeks, is, is whatever label you prefer. If you already read one of these authors and you like their label, keep their label. That's all, that's all biblical stuff. But that you recognize we're talking about a quality, not a group, not a teacher, not a label. We're talking about a quality of life that Jesus has made possible for us. And that now he's saying, this is normal. That's another one. <laughs> the normal Christian life. That he's saying, this is the norm for believers. If you're my disciple, don't settle for just being saved. You will struggle with frustration your entire life. Now, we're going to struggle our whole life anyway. That's, that's given. Jesus said so. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation. And the word tribulation meant all the bad stuff that can happen to the rest of the world that doesn't believe in him. All of that stuff can happen to you and I. But he still said, but be of good courage. I've overcome the world. So that even when we face those struggles and those sufferings and those trials and those tragedies, when we face that grief, when we face those setbacks and losses, that Jesus is saying, I have accomplished something so that for you, all that stuff doesn't lead to the same defeat. It doesn't lead to the same robbery. It doesn't lead to the destruction that it does in the life of a non-believer. For you... And just from you, my sons and daughters, for you it becomes an opportunity to grow into the character of Christ. For the rest of the world, it's just one more tragedy or one more loss, one more sorrow, one more grief. For you, it's the opportunity for treasure in the things that we're studying over these next few weeks. So again, here Jesus is saying, pay attention to his disciples, pay attention, because I'm getting ready to tell you what normal Christian living requires. Normal Christian living. So he starts with this. In verse 4. Abide in me. And I will abide in you. 
And we've talked about this numerous times. We will talk about it numerous times again in the years ahead. That abiding means this is where we live. Again, that's not rocket science. That's just vocabulary. That it's different than we visit Jesus. And, and here's part of, I, I really want to tie about 20 different things here together. But when Revelation, uh, I mean, when uh, Romans 12, 2 talks about the fact that we are being transformed in the renewing of our mind. Please choose to grasp this with me because I need to keep grasping it too. That none of us are finished learning the truths we're talking about today. And if we've come a long way in these truths, we are still not finished. Because he's talking about our full transformation into the thinking of God. And until I think just like Jesus, I'm not finished growing. And so part of this abiding thing is he's saying, I want my abiding in you and your abiding in me to become more and more and more the way you think. So that you and I would actually predict this and plan for this. Father, in the year ahead... I want to be more immersed in the agreement that my life is about Jesus abiding in me and me abiding in Jesus. I want to be way more immersed in that in the year ahead than I was in the year behind. And even if this last year, even if 2019 was a year of wonderful growth, and I know for many of you it genuinely was, that we would simply agree with God, Father, even more. Let's go deeper and gather more. I want to go deeper in this abiding. So that it doesn't become a thing I visit. And, and I would have to confess. I, I wish this wasn't true. But I will confess this to you. But I suspect it's normal for most of us. Is that we visit abiding in Jesus. Rather than abide in Jesus. Because what he's talking about is that more and more as we mature in this truth. It would be how my thought life starts in the morning. It would be how my thought life ends. While I'm in bed going to sleep. It would be where my thought life goes when I face temptation. It would be where my thought life goes when I face a really obnoxious, unpleasant person. It would be where my thought life goes when I face a need or a challenge that I don't feel up to. That more and more it would be where my thought life goes because we're already hanging out together. I don't have to go visit him I don't have to go running into his presence. We're already hanging out together. And I'm not there yet. I am not finished growing in that abiding. I suspect you're not either. And so we get to agree, Father, let's go further this year. Let's go further. But I like what he says. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. And so part of this, part of this growing to think like God and agree with God is that I recognize my life, my abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in me, my life is designed for fruitfulness. So if I just enjoy a sense of abiding with Jesus, I just really go deep into that. If it's the real thing, fruit will grow. 
And again, we've talked about this numerous times. Many of you could, could describe this yourself. Fruitfulness in the New Testament covers several different aspects of growth. One is the fruit of the Spirit, that I grow in the character of Jesus Christ. So that when we look into the character of Jesus Christ, which is very simply described as the fruit of the Spirit, that you and I would actually be predicting more of that in the year 2020 than the year 2019. And then there's also the fruitfulness that I grow in good works, that I actually do things because of who I am in Christ and because of this abiding. So Jesus said, you know, if, if you love me, obey my commandments. Go do the stuff I told you to do. Don't just sit in your, in your private study room and get all excited about my stuff. Get so excited you get up off your rear end and you go do something. Your holy posterior. So that, that recognition, I do things that flow from this abiding, but also my life will affect other lives. That there's two other aspects of fruitfulness. One is that for, in one way, one form, one shape or another, I am contributing to the salvation of others coming into the kingdom. And for some of you, that really will be the gift of evangelism. There are some of you that are truly gifted to be the one who bows your head and prays with somebody and ushers them into the kingdom. But every one of us is equipped to play a role in that process by our witness, by our love, by how we love others in the body of Christ. Every one of us is equipped to be fruitful in bringing others into the body of Christ, bringing others into eternal life, even if we're not the evangelist who's there for that final prayer. And every one of us is gifted to encourage growth in this body. Let me say that again. Because I suspect there was at least one person in the room who didn't hear it. Every one of us who's a believer is gifted to contribute to the growth of others in the body of Christ. If you're a believer, I hope there's something in your spirit that is in agreement with God to say, Father, then I'm willing to do that. Father, whether, whether I'm just someone's friend, whether I just pray with someone, whether, whether I prepare myself for a calling in, as a teacher, whether I prepare myself for a calling as an, an encourager, whether I prepare myself for a calling into hospitality, into administration, into all the various aspects of what a church does. Father, I'm going to get involved in lives, not just involved in an institution or a functioning organization, that you and I are gifted to contribute to each other's lives in a fruitful way. So that we would have that vision going into 2020. All of those aspects of fruitfulness are part of what abiding in Christ will result in. And that we're in agreement with that. Now I'd also ask this for myself, for you as well. As I was going through those areas of fruitfulness, that we mature into the true character of Jesus Christ, that will change how we behave with people. How we behave with God and how we behave with people. That we keep maturing into doing good works. That will change what we do with a lot of our time. How we, how we mature into playing a role in the salvation of others or in encouraging and nourishing the growth of others in the body of Christ. That will change our time. That will change our activity. 
And as we're going through those, I would encourage you to stop and ask, now, was there any one of those areas that I went, "Uh, let's not talk about that right now. I'd rather not think about that right now. Because if there's anything in that, in that list, in those descriptions, that felt like a hesitation for you, or you felt a little heart resistance to that, that's a good thing to start talking about God with God right now. In fact, maybe even move it to the front burner. So one of the things I know about myself, and so I suspect it's probably true for most people, is I'd rather God talk to me about things I'm comfortable growing in. I would rather God talk to me about things I'm already willing to do. That's, that would be what I prefer. God doesn't care about what I prefer in that area. And he shows it frequently. That he says, we're, we're going to talk about it anyway. But how much wiser for us and how much more joyful in the walk with him if we said, well, then, then your will be done, Father. Let's talk about it. So that if, if some of those areas were resistance for you, you felt that, you sensed that in you that you don't want to look into that area too much, that's a good place to start your 2020 conversation with God. Father, let's grow that. Let's look deeper into that. And again, with the recognition that in this abiding life, because verse 5 says this, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, how many people here already know that 15.5 is one of my favorite verses? And one of the reasons it's my, one of my favorite verses is because it covers everything. He really is saying, there is no part of your life that you're equipped to do alone. And I catch myself, I don't know if you catch yourself, but I do honestly catch myself. I'm not trying to make a point. I'm seriously saying, I honestly catch myself sometimes with an attitude of, oh, I got this, I can do this. I actually don't need to pray about this, right? I don't need the presence and help of the Holy Spirit for this. I mean, it's just mowing the lawn. It's just, you know, writing those tithe checks. We already decided what we're paying. I don't, I don't. And God's saying, don't you dare think like that. That very thinking comes from Satan. There is no part of your life, there's no part of my life that Jesus says, oh, you just run on automatic now. I'm going to be checking out some things way out there past Neptune and Pluto and You just keep doing your thing here and I'll be back later when you get to something important. So important things get my attention. I promise you, when I'm coming to preach and teach, boy, am I in prayer. I really need you. I depend on your gifting. I depend on your wisdom. I depend on your help. And God loves that. But what he's saying is, but Reg, that's true even when you're just sitting around for two hours to watch a movie with your wife. Don't you dare think that Reg Larkin, in and of himself, is equipped to do two hours with your wife apart from the power and life of Jesus Christ. You will screw it up, dude. I screw it up. And sometimes it's not, I did something bad. In fact, most of the time, it's simply the awareness that if I just coasted on Reg power for two hours with Carrie... There was something the Holy Spirit may have wanted to say or do that just didn't get said or done. And Carrie and I might never know that. 
We might both look at that two hours as a pleasant two hours. And the heart of God still grieves that some blessing was not delivered. Because I foolishly coasted on Reg Power. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating. In fact, I don't think I'm saying it even strong enough. That God is really saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. So that part of our growing wisdom is that when we're doing things through the day, we're learning to abide in this thought life. We're learning to abide in this union. We're choosing to abide in this relationship with God so that it begins to transform the way we see a moment, the way we see an interaction. So one of the things that I, I recognize in frequently in, in counseling, because most of the folks I counsel with are Christians. And just incredibly destructive and hurtful things said and done back and forth. Sometimes appallingly destructive. And then later, maybe moments later, maybe hours later, sometimes years later, where someone can say, what was I thinking? And, and in a sense, part of what this passage is saying is, you were thinking you were alone. You were thinking it was your power that was going to do that. You were thinking that you had sufficient life and wisdom and strength and insight to be that wife, to be that husband, to be that mom or dad, or to be that son or that daughter or that friend or that brother or that sister. You were thinking you were enough. And, and it breaks God's heart. But Jesus is saying, but I'm offering you the power to change that. He's not here to condemn us. He said, I'm delivering the truth and the truth will set you free. You can enter into the things that you once thought were impossible because you abide in me and my spirit abides in you. You abide in my love and my words abide in you. And we're going to get to that part next week. <laughs> Because that's one thing that, that, again, frequently amazes me is over and over and over again, the Word of God emphasizes the Word of God. That I cannot have this abiding relationship cruising on what I remember of the Word of God. I can't. So if I were going to ask for a show of hands, and I won't, but just imagine if you would raise your hand. How many people here think and I'm not talking in a prideful way, just knowledge. How many people here think you probably know the Word of God better than 50% of the Christians you know? If you could imagine yourself raising your hand, go, yeah, yeah, you know, from questions and things, like, I think I know the Word of God better than 50%. And if we could say, well, how many people here know the Word of God better than 90% of the other believers you know? You know, and maybe two people raise their hand. How many people here know the Word of God better than 99%? And we have one person raise their hand. I'm not going to name his name or her name, but I know who they are. No, I don't. I have, I have no clue. But they might know the Word of God better than anybody else they know. And then the next question is, can that person now cruise on automatic pilot with what they already know from the Word of God? No. No. Why? Why not? Because part of us sort of wants to think we can. Because it's a living word. And, the word. and my time in the word and your time in the word is a living conversation. 
And it amazes me week after week, month after month, year after year, I interact with believers who have completely neglected the word of God because they, quote, know it. Oh, yeah, I already learned all that stuff. All that stuff. I already learned all that stuff. But I'm not in a conversation with God. And that's what it boils down to. If I am not living and abiding in his words, abiding in me, I'm not in a conversation that is a crucial, absolutely essential part of this abiding love relationship. And I started preaching next week's sermon, so we'll, we'll, we'll save that. But I really want to encourage you, as, as we go home this week, as we go through the week, that we would come back to these passages. Read, read this passage again. Read John 15 again. Read it three more times. Read it five more times. But begin the process of agreement with God. Father, you're describing something that I already believe in. But you're describing something you want me to keep growing. That I not be satisfied with how I abide right now. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for fresh starts. It was all your idea, Father. You're the one who designed the universe so that in real clear physical ways we are constantly offered fresh starts. That every morning is a fresh start and your blessings are new every morning. Father, that every year, every month, every week we keep being offered fresh starts. You designed us. You know how we work. You even know how we work when we're broken. And you knew that we would need fresh starts. So Father, I pray for this fellowship of believers. Grace Bible Fellowship under the lordship and headship of Jesus Christ, your son. That we would be a body of grace who constantly offers your children fresh starts. That nobody here is obligated to be weighed down by their past. Nobody here is doomed to live in 2020 what they screwed up or failed in in 2019. That nobody here is stuck being who they were yesterday. Because we are abiding in Christ. We are free to keep growing into your son's character. To bear the fruit of your son's character. To bear the fruit of your son's purposes and commands. To bear the fruit of an impact into other people's lives for salvation and growth. We are equipped for this growth. You've set us free to grow. Father, so I pray for myself, I pray for each one of us, that we would defy all the enemy's lies when he tries to tell us that we're obligated to stay stuck. And that individually, but also as a body, we would accept your calling to a fresh start. To joyfully grow. And Father, I thank you for this passage in this chapter. That you've made it real clear that this abiding life is a life of love and joy. Father, a life of love and joy, not of duty and grinding obligations. You're setting us free to fulfill our design. For real, Father, you're setting us free. Help us to comprehend that, to, 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 agree, to agree, agree with you, to choose it. And to set our hearts and our minds and our spirits in determination to keep gaining and growing in the things you've offered us. And Jesus, once again, 
Thank you that you were willing to die the horrendous death that made all of this possible for us. We celebrate your death. And now we get to celebrate your life and abide in you. And Father, we agree on these things together as the body of Christ. In Jesus' name.